chapter 4. And uh, I want to really pour my heart out tonight. Uh, I've come tonight to maybe treat you a little bit. I may start off a little slow and may take me a few minutes to get off the runway, but we'll see what God will do at the end of the service tonight. But I'm asking everybody here to open your heart and um, let the word of the Lord minister to you tonight. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight just simply about rejoice in the sovereignty of God. Rejoice in the sovereignty of God. Max Lucado wrote, he said, I grew up in a camping family. He said, my dad's idea of a great vacation involved mountains, creeks, tents, sleeping bags, let others tour the big cities and enjoy the theme parks, but the Lucado family passed on Mickey Mouse and headed for the Rockies. He said, I attempted to continue this tradition with my own family, but with no luck. He said, our idea of roughing it is staying with family. <clears throat> he said, uh, we like campfires as long as someone else builds them and room service is available. He said, I'm not nearly as hardy as my dad. He went on to say that his dad loved camping gear as much as he loved camping trips. He said one day when he said I was about nine years old, my dad returned from a trip to the Army uh, surplus store with a tent that became a part of Lakato family lore. It was huge. It could hold a dozen cots. We could erect the tent around a picnic table and still have rooms for sleeping bags. A big tent, of course, requires stable tent poles. And this is the point of me sharing this story. Lakato said this particular tent came with two. And he said, don't confuse these poles with the slender, retractable aluminum versions that come with the average size camping tent. He said these poles were made of cast iron and was as thick as your forearm. The shelter wasn't fancy, no zippered doors, no mosquito netting, no camouflage design, but it was sturdy. So let the wind blow, let the summer rain fall, let the hail pound, let the weather change. The Lakatos weren't going anywhere. He said on one occasion they were camping in Estes Park, Colorado, along with his dad's eight siblings. The sky suddenly grew dark and stormy. Rain popped the ground, the wind bent the pine trees. Everyone made a dash for their tents. Within moments, everyone left their tents and scampered to ours. It was, after all, the one with the two big, thick cast iron poles in the middle. So tonight, I'm thinking about you and I. 
I'm thinking about you and I tonight, that we could use a set of these poles. The world has a way of brewing some fierce winds. And who among us hasn't sought protection from the elements of life? If only our storms were limited to wind and rain. But our tempest consists of the four big D's of life. That is difficulties, divorce, disease, and death. Does anyone know where to find a shelter that is suitable for these situations? The Apostle Paul did. If anyone had a reason to be careful or anxious, he said be careful for nothing or be anxious for nothing. If anybody had a reason to be anxious or careful for nothing, it was Paul. Let your imagination right now transport you back about 2,000 years, and I want you to envision a man as he gazes out the window of a Roman prison. Paul is about 60 years old. He's been a Christian for about 30 years. And there is scarcely a seaport on the Mediterranean that he doesn't know. See how stooped Paul is, if you can imagine that in your mind. He is all angles and curves. Blame his bent back on the miles traveled and the beatings endured. After all, he's received 39 lashes on five different occasions. He was beaten with rods on three. Scars a spider web across his skin like bulging veins. He was once left for dead. He's been in prison, deserted by friends and co-workers. He's endured shipwrecks, storms, and even starvation. Do you have a sad story you'd like to tell, share with Paul tonight? He's probably half blind, squinting to read. What's more is he's awaiting trial before the Roman emperor, and Nero has learned to curry favor with, with the Roman citizens by killing these Christian believers, of which Paul is probably the best known. As if the oppression from the Roman Empire weren't enough, Paul also bears the weight of newborn churches. The members of those churches are bickering back and forth with each other, and now false preachers are springing up and preaching out of pride and envy, so much for the easy life of an apostle. His future is as gloomy as his jail cell. Yet to read his words, you would think he had just arrived at a Jamaican beach hotel resort. His letter to the Philippians bears not one word of fear nor complaint, not one. He never shakes a fist at God. Instead, he lifts his thanks to God and calls on his readers to do the same. Rejoice, he said, in the Lord, always. And again, I say, rejoice. Paul's prescription for anxiety begins with a call to rejoice. Notice tonight, Paul used every tool in the box on this verse, hoping to get our attention. First of all, he employed a present imperative tense, so his readers would hear him say continually, habitually, rejoice. And if the verb tense wasn't enough, he removed the expiration date from this verse. He said, rejoice in the Lord, always. And if perchance the verb tense and always were inadequate 
He repeated the command. Again, I say, rejoice. So we all ask tonight, how can a person obey this command? How is it possible that a person can rejoice always? Is it possible for any person to maintain an uninterrupted spirit of gladness? Can't do it. No, the the answer to that is no. But this is not Paul's challenge. Paul said, we are urged by Paul to rejoice in the Lord. Not the circumstances. Not the situations. Not what's going on around us. That's not where our rejoicing is. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. And this verse is a call. It's a summons. Not to a feeling, but to a decision. It's a call to an attitude, to a perspective that is deeply rooted in the confidence that God exists and that He is in control and that He is good. The apostle held firm to this belief. He had erected cast iron stabilizers in the center of his own soul. Let Nero rage. Let preacher self-promote. Let storms blow. Paul's tent of faith would never collapse because he had it stabilized with a sturdy belief system. What held his tent up was a sturdy belief system. I will ask you tonight, how sturdy is yours? How sturdy is your belief system? So I will ask you tonight to flip back the flaps of your soul and you'll see a series of beliefs that serve like poles to stabilize your life. Your belief system, your belief system is your answer to the fundamental questions about life. Is anyone in control of the universe? Does my life have a purpose? Do I have any value? Is this all of life there is? Your belief system has nothing to do with your skin color, your appearance, your talents, or your age. Your belief system is not concerned with the exterior of the tent, but the interior of the tent. Your belief system is the set of convictions, the cast iron poles, that's as big around as your forearm, if you will. Your belief system is those poles that, that, that hold up who you are. It's that set of convictions, all of them unseen, upon which your faith depends. Your belief system is strong. If your belief system is strong, if your belief system is strong, you will stand. If it is weak, the storm will always prevail let me make to you an an awesome statement that's worth putting on facebook want to put something good on facebook belief your set of belief your 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 set of convictions the things you believe in what you believe will always precede your behavior What you believe will always precede 
your behavior. For this reason, the apostle in each of his epistles addressed convictions before he addressed actions. To change the way a person responds to life, change what a person believes about life. The most important thing about you tonight, about us, about Grace Church, is our belief system. Paul's was strong. Let's take a close look at the poles in the tent of the apostle. You will see one with this inscription, the sovereignty of God. That's what I've come to talk to you about. I, you, us. Sometimes we have tendencies to get frantic and let our emotions run rampant. Then we forget or do not consider, we fail to consider the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is a term the Bible uses to describe God's perfect control and management of the universe. He preserves and governs every element of it. He is continually involved with all created things, directing them to act in a way that fulfills His divine purpose and the treatment of anxiety, a proper understanding of sovereignty is huge. Anxiety, this being careful for nothing, this worrying over things that don't exist yet. Anxiety is often the consequences of perceived chaos, even before it truly exists. If we, if we sense that we are victims of unseen, turbulent, random forces and we're troubled, I want you to notice something here. And I found this, this illustration very interesting and very compelling. Psychologists verified this fact when they studied the impact of combat on on the soldiers of World War II. It's this anxious anxiety is often the consequence of perceived chaos. That's that's what they're studying. And they verified the fact when they studied the impact of combat on soldiers in World War II, they determined that after 60 days of continuous combat, the ground troops became emotionally dead. This reaction is understandable. Soldiers endured a a constant threat of bomb blitzes and machine guns and enemy snipers. The anxiety of ground troops was no surprise. But watch this. The comparative calm among the fighter pilots of World War II, however, was was, uh, very stark to the psychologists. Their mortality rate was among the highest in combat, 50% of them were killed in action, yet the, the pilots loved their work. An astounding 93% of them claimed to be happy in their assignments, even though the odds of them surviving was the same as the flip and toss of a coin. What made the difference? What was the difference between the foot soldier, the infantryman, and the pilot? The difference is that the pilots had their hands on the controls. They sat in the cockpit. They felt like their fate was theirs to determine. On the other hand, the infantryman, the foot soldier by contrast, could have as easily been killed standing still or running away. And they felt forlorn or helpless. The, the formula is simple. Perceived control creates calm. Lack of control gives birth to fear. So you don't need a war to prove this formula. Road congestion will do just fine. 
As a matter of fact, a team of German researchers found that a traffic jam increases your chances of a heart attack threefold. Makes sense. Gridlock is the ultimate loss of control. We may know how to drive, but the fellow in the next lane doesn't. We can be the best drivers in history, but the texting teenager may be the end of us. There's no predictability, just stress. Anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. So what do we do? We try to control everything, right? So you never board a plane without a parachute, and you never enter into a restaurant without bringing your own clean silverware, and you never leave the house without a gas mask, and never give your heart away for fear of a broken one in return, and never step on a crack lest you break your mother's back, as the old saying goes. You face anxiety by taking control. That's what our society does. If only we could take control. But you know what, folks, on the flip side of this, certainty is a cruel imposter. A person can accumulate millions of dollars and still lose it in a recession. A health fanatic can eat only nuts and veggies and still battle cancer. I know someone that's done that. A hermit can avoid all human contact and still struggle with insomnia. We want certainty, but only certainty is the lack thereof. So what's the most stressed out people? Why are the most stressed out people control freaks? Because they fail at the quest they most pursue. The more they try to control the world, the world, the more they realize they cannot. Life becomes a cycle of anxiety, failure, anxiety, failure, anxiety, failure, and we can't take control because control is not ours to take. The Bible has a better idea for all of us here tonight. Rather than seeking total control, relinquish it. Give it to someone else. I think we should all agree tonight that we can't run the world, so you might as well entrust it to God. This is a message behind Paul's admonition to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. When you can't rejoice in your circumstances and and your life and, and what is ahead of you in the future, when you can't rejoice in none of that, you can rejoice in the Lord. Peace is within reach. Not for a lack of problems, but because of the presence of a sovereign God. Rather than rehearse the chaos of the world, rejoice in God's sovereignty like Paul did. He said, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And these troublemakers, he said, in the church, those who preached out of envy and strife, their selfish motives were no match for the sovereignty of God. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Jesus is still being preached. Either way, he said, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Hallelujah. Paul believed that God highly exalted Jesus and gave him a name that's above every name and conditions might not or might have been miserable in the prison but high above it was a God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure Paul said to read Paul is to read the words of a man who in the innermost part of his being believed in the steady hand the steady hand 
of a good God. He was protected by God's strength. He was preserved by God's love, and he lived beneath the shadow of God's wings. My question tonight is, do you? You can stabilize your soul tonight. God's talking to somebody right now, and God can stabilize your soul with his sovereignty. He reigns supreme over every detail of the universe. The Bible said, Proverbs said, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. God does as He pleases, the Bible said, with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? He sustains all things according to Hebrews. He can whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt, according to Isaiah 7. He names the stars and knows the sparrows and counts the hairs on your head, great and small, from the People's Liberation Army of China to the army ants in my backyard. Everything is under His control. Who can act against you according to Lamentations 3? Who can act against you without the Lord's permission? It is the Lord who helps one and harms another. God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. This was certainly the message God gave to the prophet Isaiah during the 8th century B.C. Ancient Judah enjoyed a time of relative peace thanks to the steady leadership of Uzziah the king. Uzziah was far from perfect, yet he kept the enemies at bay through. And though antagonists threatened from all sides, the presence of Uzziah kept the fragile society safe from attack for 52 years. And then Uzziah died. Isaiah, who lived during the reign of the king, was left with ample reason for worry. What would happen to the people of Judah now that Uzziah was gone? What are we going to do? How is all of this going to come out? But God spoke to Isaiah as He will speak to us. What will happen now that your job may be gone or your health is diminished or the economy is taken a nosedive? Does God have a message for His people when calamity strikes? He certainly had a word for Isaiah when Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And above it the seraphims, each one had six wings with twain. He covered His face with twain he covered his feet with twain he did fly and they cried one to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke does god have an answer for us i want to remind somebody here tonight That heaven's throne is still occupied. (laughs) Still occupied. I could start calling names here tonight directly to some folks. I'm not going to do that. But Uzziah's throne was empty. But God's was occupied. 
Uzziah's reign had ended, but God's hadn't. Uzziah's voice was silent, but God's voice was strong. He was and is alive on the throne and still worthy of endless worship. God calmed the fears of Isaiah, not by removing the problem, but revealing His divine power and presence in the life of Isaiah. He didn't bring Uzziah back from the dead. God just showed Isaiah that there's someone more powerful than Uzziah sitting on the throne. He's the King of kings and the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, which is and was and is to come. The Almighty, that's who we serve tonight. Be careful for nothing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Hallelujah. I want you to think of it this way. Let me make this as relevant as I can for all of us tonight. Think of it this way. Suppose your dad is the world's foremost orthopedic surgeon. I want you to suppose that your dad... is the world's foremost orthopedic surgeon. People travel, travel from district, distant countries for him to treat them regularly. He exchanges damaged joints for healthy ones. And with the same confidence that a mechanic changes spark plugs, your dad removes and replaces hips, knees, and shoulders. At 10 years of age, you're a bit young to comprehend the accomplishments of a renowned surgeon. But you're not too young to stumble down the stairs and twist your ankle. You roll and writhe on the floor and scream for help. And you are weeks away from your first school play. This is no time for crutches. No time for limping. You need a healthy ankle. And right now yours is anything but. Into the room walks your dad still wearing his surgical scrubs. He removes your shoe and peels back your sock and examines the injury. You groan at the sight of the tennis ball-sized bump on the side of your ankle. Adolescent anxiety kicks in. Dad, I'll never walk again. Yes, you will, he says. No one can help me, you say. He says, I can. No one knows what to do, you say. He says, I do. You say, no, you don't. And your dad lifts his head and ask you a question, do you know what I do for a living? Actually, as a child, you don't. You know he goes to the hospital every day. Listen to pastor tonight. You really don't know what he does for a living. You know he goes to the hospital every day, and you know that people call him doctor. You know that your mom thinks he's really smart. But you don't really know what your father does. Is anybody hearing me today? So he says, as he places a bag of ice on your ankle, it's time for you to learn what your daddy does. The next day, he's waiting for you in the school parking lot after classes. Hop in. I want you to come with me and see what I do. He drives you to his hospital office. 
and shows you the constellation of diplomas on his wall. Adjacent to them is a collection of awards that include words like distinguished and honorable, and he hands you a manual of orthopedic surgery that bears his name, and you ask, did you write this? And he said, I did. His cell phone rings, and after the call, he tells you we're off to surgery. You scrub up and follow him into the operating room on your crutches. During the next few minutes, you have a ringside seat for a procedure in which he reconstructs an ankle. He is a commandant, the commandant of the operating room. He never hesitates or seeks advice. He just does it. One of his nurses whispers in your ear, your dad is the best. As the two of you ride home that evening, you look at your daddy. You see him in a whole different light. If he can conduct orthopedic surgery, he can likely treat a swollen ankle. So you ask, Dad, do you think I'll be okay for the school play? Dad says, yes, honey, you'll be fine. And this time, you believe him. Your anxiety decreases as your understanding of your father increases. Your anxiety decreases as your understanding of your father increases. Grace Church, here's what I think. Our biggest fears, the biggest fear that anyone has here tonight, are sprained ankles to God. Here's what else I think. A lot of people live with unnecessary anxiety over temporary limbs. The next time you fear the future, rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Rejoice in what he has accomplished. Have you been to his throne room via prayer lately? Have you seen the diplomas hanging on his wall? containing the words honorable and distinguished. When was the last time you heard about someone you knew of that had cancer and God healed it instantly? Do you really know what your father can do? Do you really know what he does every day in the life of humanity? So the next time you fear the future, rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Rejoice and what he has accomplished. Rejoice that he is able to do what you cannot do. Fill your mind with thoughts of God. Let me remind you, according to Romans chapter 1, that he is the creator who is blessed forever. Let me remind you in Hebrews thirteen eight that the Bible said that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me remind you that Psalm 102, 27 says his years will never end. He is king, supreme ruler, absolute monarch and the overlord of all of history. An arch of his eyebrow and a million angels will pivot and salute. Every throne is a footstool to his. Every crown is paper mache next to his. He consults no advisors. He needs no Congress. He reports to no one. He is in charge. Sovereignty gives the saint the inside track to peace. Others see the problems of the world and wring their hands. We see the problems of the world and bend our knees. 
Jeremiah did. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 17, he said, And thou hast removed my soul far from far off from peace. I forgot prosperity, and I said my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance, and it, it has humbled me. Jeremiah was a prophet during one of Israel's or Judah's darkest periods of rebellion. They called him the weeping prophet because he was one. He wept at the condition of the people and the depravity of their faith. He was anxious enough to write a book called Lamentations. But then he considered the work of God. Then he considered what his father did. He purposely lifted his mind to thoughts about his king. Note the difference he said in the next verse. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Somebody here tonight needs to rejoice in the Lord because He's sovereign. Oh, my. Lift up your eyes, folks, as I conclude tonight. Can we do this, Casey? Can you come? Lift up your eyes. Don't get lost in your trouble. Don't get lost in your troubles. Dare to believe that good things will happen. Ministry team, I need you to help me right now. Dare to believe that God was speaking to you when He said, For all things work together. For good to them that love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. The mind cannot at the same time be full of God and full of fear. The Bible said He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in Him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Are you troubled and restless and sleepless? Then rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. I, re- I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to expose your worries to an hour of worship. I I challenge you tonight to expose your worry to a few minutes in the altar of worship. I pleaded with you to do that over the past several Sundays. Your concerns will melt like ice on a July 4th sidewalk. Anxiety passes as trust increases. In another scripture, Jeremiah draws a direct connection between faith and peace. Blessed is the man, he said, who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes and its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought rejoice in the Lord rejoice in the Lord David said I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help For my help cometh down from the Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. And he will not suffer thy foot. He will not allow thy foot to be moved. I want to ask you to stand with me tonight.
I will admit that there are some things that I know about some of our sweet and amazing church families and what some of you are facing in the very near future. Then I'll also admit that there may be some folks here that I don't know what's facing you and your future. I don't know what's ahead of me tomorrow. I know what I would like for it to be, but I don't know. But I do know one that has my tomorrow in the palm of his hand. And he will not suffer or allow my foot to be moved. I know it's Wednesday night, but I have felt this rumbling in my spirit for the past couple of weeks. And I just want to share it with you tonight. And I want to give everybody an opportunity to come gather around the front a few minutes. I know it's Wednesday night, but we, we have time. It's, it's about 20 after it. I think we have about 10 minutes. I'd like to give some of you folks an opportunity to worship through your worry. Ministry team, help me right now. I want to ask some of you folks to just come up here and determine as Casey begins to sing softly. I want you to lift your face and your hands heavenward. And I'm going to ask you to just worship. Somebody worship through your worry right now. Somebody give it to the Lord. Whatever it is going on in your life right now, give it to Jesus. There's not a greater priority in the building right now than for you to worship. Than for you to worship through worry. There's not a greater priority tonight than for you to surrender your heart and say, God, I'm going to cast all of my care on you right now. Somebody let the Lord have His way. Somebody let the Holy Ghost break through right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, Grace Church. God may be preparing you tonight for something coming tomorrow. Let Him have His way. Oh, God, let Him have His way. Let Him have His way. In the name of Jesus, this is a God moment for somebody. Let the Lord have His way. Let the Lord have His way. In the name of Jesus, rejoice tonight in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord!
Rejoice in the Lord! Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, that's right. Worship the Lord, folks. Worship the Lord all over the house tonight. Worship the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. That's right, go ahead. Somebody let the Lord have His way. Somebody let the Lord have His way in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody consider what your father does. Consider what he does. Remember the miracles that he's wrought. Remember the great things that he's accomplished. Hallelujah. Your life is safe in his hands. Your future is safe in His hands. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Somebody let Him have His way. Go ahead. Let Him have His way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go ahead, folks. Go ahead. Heaven is His throne and the earth is His footstool. Hallelujah. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Why don't you put your hand on the shoulder of somebody close to you. Let's pray for one another tonight. Let's pray for one another tonight all across the building. Pray for somebody close to you. God, take grace, church. Take it up in your arms. God, take it up in your arms, I pray. God, take it up in your arms, I pray. In the name of Jesus, hold this church, oh God, in your hands. Hold this church, oh God, in your hands. Hallelujah, 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 in the name of Jesus. Oh God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. 
God, I feel the Holy Ghost. God, I feel your presence. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. One more time, could we clap our hands to the Lord tonight? Could you clap your hands to the Lord tonight? Let's rejoice. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight for being in the house of the Lord. Shake somebody's hand close to you. Tell them how much you love them. Fellowship with one another. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. In Jesus' name.